0: This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy SatStackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. As usual, I am Chris, and today is Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. That means two things. It means it is Valentine's Day or Singles Appreciation Day, depending on your point of view. And it also means that today is DCA Wednesday. So we're going to grow that Bitcoin stack a little bit later on in the podcast. But before that, I just wanted to mention that there's a few things I want to talk about today. First of all, inflation just won't go away. But despite that, Bitcoin is pumping as the ETFs soak up more than ten times the daily supply of freshly mined Bitcoin, and that, and that, and, and that. As we are now less than ten thousand blocks away from the having, of course, here on the Space Coast, rockets are launching, rockets are landing with their accompanying sonic booms, and CSW continues to get absolutely humiliated in a court across the pond. I'd have to say, all in all, it's been a glorious day. But before we get into all that and more, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. As I mentioned, today is Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Uh, I was going to say Happy Singles Appreciation Day, but it sure seems like we're getting a pleb baby boom. A lot of you plebs are finding the love of your life, getting married, starting families. At least that's the way it appears on Bitcoin Twitter. Uh, Of course, those of us that are a little bit older are way ahead of you on that ballgame, but... Uh, It doesn't seem like, you know, the meme is when girlfriend, oftentimes on on Bitcoin Twitter, on Reddit, but it it looks like a lot of you have found your girlfriends already based on the number of baby pictures. I see Katie the Russian was posting her uh, ultrasounds the other day, and uh, I forget who else was. Was it Roman Martinez, Chimbera? Anyway, a lot of you out there are, are growing big, happy Bitcoin families, so congratulations to those of you, and happy Valentine's Day to you and your significant other, regardless of where you may be. Back to the vital statistics though, at the time of this recording we are at block number 830,508 and Bitcoin is ringing in at a stunning 52,210 US dollars per Bitcoin or a paltry 1,915 sats per dollar depending on how you look at it. That is sad. Last week we got 2,248 sats per dollar when we converted our US fiat into satoshis. Uh so we're going to be we're going to be getting a uh, 300 more than 300 pure sats just for uh just because price goes up number go up up and to the right and that you know that's one of those things that was uh that was bound to happen as the price of bitcoin goes up the number of sats per dollar obviously you get decreases so hopefully you've been stacking alongside us for this last two and a half years or even longer uh because while we never want to keep stacking it is looking like it's going to get harder and harder to to uh grab a appreciable to grab a stack in appreciable perishable size of Satoshi's. Certainly a lot harder to become a whole coiner unless you have a spare $52,210 laying around. I know that's not the case for a lot of you listening to this podcast. It's certainly not the case for me. So hopefully you are already either there or well on your way. As I mentioned, we have less than 10,000 blocks to go until the next Bitcoin miner award having 9,492 blocks to be precise. Obviously, that's a big deal. Every every 210,000 blocks, the reward that miners get for finding the next Bitcoin block gets cut in half. The next time that occurs is at block 840,000. That's looking like that's going to be on April 19th of this year. So we're talking, I mean, just barely, barely two months away now. I mean, we're already February 14th. So we got March 14th, April 14th, and by then, if you know, if hash rate keeps going up, who knows? Maybe the halving will even We'll even will be occurring even even closer to the 14th than than the 19th because it certainly slid a few days forward recently. Uh, I'm looking back a couple of months back when it was estimated that the having was going to occur on April 22nd. So then it moved up to the 21st. Then it was at 420 for a while, which is kind of Elon Musk's favorite meme number. And then the last two weeks we've been looking at April 19th, but blocks keep coming in under that 10-minute average. I'm getting ahead of myself, but. The reason I'm talking about this now, instead of when I normally would be talking about it in the vital statistics, is because just the other day I saw someone on Reddit asking, "Is the having always four years, or could the time slide depending depending on hash rate?" And you would be surprised at the number of answers that said not that it's fixed four years. Pretty much everyone seemed to know it's that it's set in block time that it will occur at block eight hundred and forty thousand, regardless when that occurs. But the number of people who said it's going to be exactly four years because the having, uh, I mean, sorry, the difficulty adjustment makes up for it, that it factors in the fact that hash rate is either going up or down and keeps blocks coming in at 10 minutes. So it's going to keep it at four years. And I jumped on and pointed out, you know, the halving is going to be a month, a full month earlier this time than it was in 2020. Uh, And that is because while the difficulty adjustment is genius, you know, since hash rate usually is up into the right in the history of Bitcoin and its entire history, hash rate has been exploding. Uh, that every time the difficulty adjustment kicks in to bring block times in line to that 10-minute average, well, additional hash rate comes online, and so we start getting faster than 10 minutes again, and so there's another difficulty adjustment that increases the difficulty to slow down those block times, but then more hash rate gets put, poured onto the network, and that's why we've seen the estimates slide from April, I guess, as far as April 24th, just a couple of months ago, to now looking at April 19th. And it is possible that hash rate you know, does decrease, and it does that from time to time. For example, during either the hot summers or the cold winters in Texas, when a lot of the miners shut down uh, to help balance the grid. Um, you know, we, we have seen hash rate temporarily fall off in 2020 when we had the China mining ban. We saw like almost a third of hash rate fall off, but within a few months, it was all back on. So just like while Bitcoin price goes up and down, if you zoom out and look at the overall trend, it's consistently up and to the right, same thing with with hash rate with network hash power securing the network so um to uh answer your question if you are out there listening on reddit the uh, the you know the the having time frame again it's not set in human time it's set at every 210,000 blocks but those blocks in general the having has has progressed where it've been it been its slightly earlier than than 3 years I'm sorry, slightly earlier than four years because of the increasing hash rate on the network, and that obviously we've seen that play out just in the last couple of weeks, watching the the having date move up to as early as April 19th. Of course, we won't know when that's going to happen until it happens. Even on the day of the having, it's always possible to get a couple of periods where you have one or two hour block times, because again, it's you know it's an this is just an average we're talking about, uh, and I remember last year. Last not year, last having in 2020, most of the having parties, of course, were online because they had the thing going on. You couldn't really travel, let alone travel internationally. So, I think Bitcoin Magazine had one of the biggest podcasts or one of the biggest um, live streams events where you could, you know, log in and participate or just watch as they counted down towards the having. I think they're doing again, again that again this year. Although I wouldn't count on them being the biggest because a lot of Bitcoiners, especially maxis, are. A little bit less than happy with Bitcoin Magazine uh, for their their shenanigans when it comes to the wizards, etc. But uh, we've talked about that plenty, and I'm getting way off track. So let's get back to the vital statistics. And this is a big one. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $1.02 trillion. That is more than $100 billion more than last DCA Wednesday. And above that magic number, that $1 trillion mark that I said, this is the magic number when the traditional financial media is going to sit up and notice, this is when Bitcoin has joined the ranks of the big boys as far as they're concerned. This is a big deal. If Bitcoin stays above that 1.2, $1.02 trillion or explodes even further in price, uh, maybe we will get a new all-time high before the halving. I doubt it. I wouldn't put my money on it. I know a lot of people are betting on that happening. But again, this isn't a normal halving cycle. As we mentioned, the ETFs are soaking up way more Bitcoin than is being uh, mined by Bitcoin miners. The majority of Bitcoin for sale and exchanges is the result of commercial mining operations selling some of their Bitcoin to pay for their expenses, with all that Bitcoin being soaked up by BlackRock and Fidelity and the other Bitcoin ETFs out there, uh, and 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 additional entities above and beyond that as we'll get into in the future, or in a little bit in the future, the future being about two minutes from now. Uh, things are getting exciting. You know, we're, we're talking Wall Street FOMO and not just pleb FOMO. So, uh, you know, we could get a pullback. We saw that before. It wouldn't be unusual. The previous halvings have all had some sort of big pullback right before the halving date. Traditionally, we crossed the halving about three to three and a half times high, uh, three and a half times higher than the cycle low, which would mean we should be about 45,000 to 48,000 on halving day. But again, you know, Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do. And we won't know what that is until after it's already occurred. So sit back, buckle up. I hope you got enough Satoshi stacked. If not, hopefully you're stacking more alongside us today because time is running out. And speaking of time running out, for those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it's currently going to cost you 25.7 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is 3.8 ounces more than just last Wednesday. That is almost a quarter pound of gold more to purchase just one Bitcoin than last week. I keep saying you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. If you're a gold bug and you're holding on to your gold and not not uh, not getting off a of zero, if, if I mean, there's plenty of gold bugs out there like Lawrence Lapard that are also Bitcoin maxis or at least into Bitcoin. And then of course, you got the Peter Schiff's of the world who are gold or nothing, at least as far as their public persona and their tweets are concerned. If you're one of those Mr. Grudge Myers, one of those Peter Schiff type gold bugs who just won't let go of your gold, your gold only. Uh, You know, you get the price of Bitcoin, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve right now. That's 25.7 ounces of gold, but it is going to be, I mean, just a matter of time before we're talking pounds of gold per Bitcoin. I have already said multiple times that we're going to see Bitcoin measured in terms of pounds of gold by the end of 2024, uh, we might see that by the by the summer of 2024 at this rate because, you know, we're already really close to two pounds of gold for just one Bitcoin. Uh, if we get another four ounce increase, all of a sudden we're talking 29 ounces of gold you know, per one Bitcoin, almost 30 ounces of gold per Bitcoin, which is just two ounces shy of the two pound mark. And I think once we're talking more than two, two and a half pounds of gold, that's when you kind of stop referring to it in terms of ounces and start talking about pounds but I'm getting ahead of myself once again. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,920 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is now more than eight years of pizza. One large pepperoni pizza a day for more than eight years. Between, Between last Wednesday and this Wednesday, your Bitcoin will now purchase you an additional year's worth of pizza as far as feeding your family once a day, or at least eating once a day, I know, uh, like you took exception when I said uh, it'll feed your family once a day that that I hadn't met your family. And of course, a large pepperoni pizza doesn't feed my family either. So um, you know what I mean? The point being, you can purchase now more than uh, you can. I keep having trouble spitting this out. And this has been two years I've I've been saying the same statistic. I keep saying more than one pizza a day. I guess technically it is more than one pizza a day up into eight years or at least one pizza a day for eight years for just one Bitcoin. I was talking about this the last two podcasts in a row that if you started trying to spend your Bitcoin on pizza right now, as fast as the number of pizzas you can purchase per Bitcoin is going up, uh, it's very likely that you'll never actually spend your last Satoshi on pizza because, you know, just last Wednesday, you would have gotten 2,487 pizzas per Bitcoin. Now you're getting almost 400, a little more than 400 pizzas, 433 more pizzas per Bitcoin. That's an ex- more than an extra year's worth of pizza. And by next Wednesday, who knows what that will be easily eight years from now, we're talking two cycles from now. So, you know, if you're a firm believer that Bitcoin will be worth more than a million dollars per Bitcoin uh, after two more cycles, maybe 10 million, there are people predicting a billion dollar Bitcoin, you know, at one point in time, it's conceivable that your Bitcoin will be going up in value in pizza terms faster than you can spend it if all you're spending it on is pizza. And that's really cool. To think that if you have just one Bitcoin, if nothing else, at least you can eat one pizza a day, every day for a minimum of four years. Correction, eight years at this point. Uh, So, you know, there's some security for you. Speaking of Bitcoin, speaking of activity, speaking of on-chain, Clark Moody's teeny-weeny mempool, as Marty Bent likes to call it, has currently 91 blocks worth of transactions pending. That's down from the 104 last week and the 112 the week before that, and the 128 the week before that. So according to his mempool statistics, transaction volume has slowed down a little bit, although uh, that's kind of a contentious statistic because he limits the size of his mempool and to the default, mind you, which most mempools do, and that a lot of the transactions are uh, low-fee transactions, which which certain mempools exclude because they're below a certain a certain fee value. So while they're still technically out there in the mempool, the universe that is the mempool of pending transactions, they might not be in your mempool. They're certainly not in Clark Moody's mempool. But we keep discussing his mempool because we have every week for two and a half years, more than two and a half years. So even though uh, even though people have even though there's a debate about whether or not his mempool accurately reflects the overall mempool, for the purpose of consistency, we're going to keep we're going to keep looking at that statistic. And speaking of Clark Moody and his mempool, his fee estimator is currently recommending that if you want to guarantee that you do an on-chain Bitcoin transaction and get it included in the next block, it's recommending a fee of just 44 sats per vbyte. That is less than half of last week where he was recommending a fee of 101 sats per vbyte. He's recommending that if you have up to a day to wait, a fee of 24 sats per vbyte will be mined within a day. The big change though is he's finally abandoned that six sats per vbyte will get mined within a week thing because I haven't seen a six, bat, six sat per view byte transaction mined at any point in time in the last several months while I've been watching. It's possible one snuck by while well, I'm not because I don't watch every single block. But I do look at mempool.space quite frequently and it shows the fee range, etc., quite clearly in an in easy-to-understand, easy easy-to-read format. And I haven't seen a six sat per view transaction mined recently. So currently, Clark Moody's estimating if you have up to a week to wait, that you need to include a fee of 11 sats per Vbyte, almost double what they had been recommending. Mempool.space, as usual, tells a slightly different story. They're saying that a high priority transaction will be mined in the next block or so for a fee as little as 16 sats per v- for Vbyte. And even with Bitcoin over $52,000 right now, that's still only a fee of $1.17 US. They are, however, saying that even a medium or low priority transaction should still have a minimum fee of 16 sats per Vbyte. And a no-priority transaction should have a fee of at least 10 sats per vbyte. So again, if you're doing on-chain transactions uh, and you have the choice to set your own fees, to choose your own fees, then you know, make sure you have the most recent up-to-date data. I, I get my data from those two different sources, Clark Moody's dashboard and mempool.space. mempool.space, I think, tends to be re- a little more reliable. And of course, you know, make sure you're using a wallet that lets you use replace by fee so you don't end up with one of those transactions that just gets stuck on the mempool forever. All right. That metric that you know has been my favorite for most of this podcast, Bitcoin's 24-hour average transaction rate has had a big change. As you remember, before the whole Taproot activation when we got flooded with ordinals inscriptions, BRC-20 token transactions, etc., uh, it used to be any time we saw transaction volume above about pi 3.14 transactions per second, I Saw that was an indicator that Bitcoin's price was pumping. At least that's the way it worked out. Not kind of really any official TA, just the way it's worked out during the two and a half years we've been doing this podcast. That kind of went out the window because we were seeing transaction volumes as high as like seven transactions per second with all that all that miscellaneous data clogging up the uh, clogging up the blockchain, basically getting four megabyte blocks instead of two megabyte blocks. And that's my pet peeve with with these ordinals inscription shenanigans. You know, part of Segwit. 2x back in the day during the block size wars as we were going to adopt segwit and then there was going to be a doubling of the block size you know going from one megabyte to two megabyte blocks we've effectively doubled the block size again going from two megabyte to four megabyte blocks just by discounting uh the fees for these ordinals and inscriptions and letting them jam up the header with with data with jpegs etc so um i still have a real big problem with that whether i think we need to do a hard fork and roll that back you know, that, that, that's debatable. I'm also a big code ossification guy. I think don't mess around and find out when it comes to Bitcoin. What gives Bitcoin its value is the fact that you can rely on it, that it's immutable, that it's uncensorable, and nobody's ever going to change that. Not even by accident, by introducing a code change that has an unintended consequence. Boy, have we seen our fair share of unintended consequences with some of these code changes. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself again. But the big change this week is that our current 24-hour transaction rate is averaging just 3.63 transactions per second, down from 5.01 last week and 5.9 the week before. Yet the price is pumping, so maybe we're getting beyond. Especially as Bitcoin's price goes up, maybe the ordinals and descriptions thing is settling down, and we're getting back to normal, where where anything greater than 3.15 or so uh, is indicative of a healthy bull market. Uh, I guess that remains to be seen, but currently. With Bitcoin pumping, we're looking at an average 24-hour transaction rate of 3.63 transactions per second, a healthy amount of on-chain activity by the old-school rules, slightly anemic compared to what we'd seen with the mempool bloat. And speaking of on-chain, we are just about a day away from the next Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. We just spoke about that a little bit earlier. As you know, the difficulty it takes to find the next block is adjusted every 2016 blocks, which again works out to about every two weeks, but it's not based on time. Just like the halving isn't based on time. It's based on those blocks. We currently have 84 more blocks to go until that difficulty is adjusted. Uh, And that's going to be another big increase. Last difficulty increase was an adjustment of an upward adjustment of 7.3%. And depending where you get your data, we're looking at about a 7.7 to 7.77% increase in the difficulty uh, and that, of course, is to slow blocks down so that it shoots for that average 10-minute 10, ten minute block time. And currently, blocks are just screaming in at 9 minutes and 17 seconds. Not quite as fast as last Wednesday when they were coming in at 8 minutes and 55 seconds, which is why instead of as much of a 12% increase, we're looking at a maximum of about 7.8%. Uh, and, of course, we won't know until tomorrow, but obviously the closer it gets to that time, the more... the uh, the more of a valid average we have uh, and the, the more assured we can be as, as, as to exactly what that difficulty adjustment is going to be either way, unless, you know, things just go completely haywire. We're looking at another really big difficulty adjustment. And that is because hash rate has just been pouring onto the network. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation as to why that is um, whether or not some of the new generation ASICs are are starting to be rolled out. One of the things that Bitmain is kind of notorious for is even before they roll out their ASICs, they like to test them for as long as 90 days. If you remember during the last bull run when the uh, S19 was coming out and the under S9s were still kind of the state-of-the-art miner, people were complaining because they order these ASICs from Bitmain and they're showing up dirty with you know dusty fans and dusty circuit boards uh, because Bitcoin had been testing them for several months. So it's a distinct possibility those super go-fast new ASICs are being uh, put to the test in in Bitmain's warehouses uh, for testing purposes, but nonetheless contributing to the hash rate. Also, there was speculation that additional countries are starting to get into Bitcoin mining. It's speculated that Russia, for example, is getting into Bitcoin mining. We already know certain Middle East countries are starting to get into Bitcoin mining. So maybe that's starting to accelerate. Either way, that's good for Bitcoin, despite the fact it means that, you know, it's going to be harder and harder to mine a Bitcoin. Well, that's, that's a good thing when it comes to network security. There's no way you can argue about that. All right, real quick, I want to thank you for listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps. Podcasting 2.0 apps such as Fountain allow you to earn sats for listening to your favorite podcasts, but they also allow you to help support your favorite podcasts through the value-for-value model by streaming sats on a per-minute basis or by sending a boost, which is a one-time basically tip to the podcast where you can send a shout-out, a message to your favorite podcast, but because it's a lightning transaction, it comes with some sats. And we have two shout-outs to read. One of them is from two episodes ago, and that's because Leggy, longtime supporter of the podcast, squeaked one in right under the wire. In fact, uh, he, he boosted us for episode 147, which was January 31st, and the boost came in after I was already in the studio recording. And Leggy sent 2,222 sats and said, OMG, mining going nuts, question mark, last minute boost, exclamation point. And boy, it was a last, minute, a last minute boost, and yeah, mining certainly is going nuts. Uh, And despite the fact I do a little bit of home mining on the side, which means I'm going to be getting less Satoshis, you know, I'm mining at a loss anyway. So uh, it is what it is. And I kind of like mining even at a loss because it's kind of the ultimate form of dollar cost averaging where, you know, we're going to purchase consistently regardless of price. Mining is definitely stacking consistently regardless of price. If you have a certain amount of hash rate until the next difficulty adjustment, you're going to get a specific number of sats per day and it doesn't matter what the price of Bitcoin is. So thank you for that boost, Leggy. Leggy also sent a second boost a few days later, and this is to boost the last episode, episode 148, which was last Wednesday, February 7th, for DCA Stack 133. And Leggy took a little bit of exception with what I said about Bitcoin mining and, and demand response, boosting us 2,222 sat, saying, I don't think there is a agreement from the from the miners to turn off the rigs when power is needed. They simply trade their power on the energy market, and when price Prices rise, it is more lucrative to sell the power than to mine. Outcome is the same. BTC fixes the incentives. And technically, you're right, Leggy, uh, but technically, so am I. It's one of those things. This might just be a semantic thing where um, I guess it depends on what the definition of agreement is. Of course, different miners in different places of the world have different agreements, different power contracts that get their power in different ways. For example, uh, you know, there are a couple of places in the United States where the Bitcoin miners are attached to a, a, either a coal generating station or there's even one attached to a nuclear generating station. And so they get cheap, abundant power. Obviously for them, when, when power is expensive during a time, high dem- time of high demand, uh, it becomes less profitable to mine Bitcoin. And so of course, that's just a market incentive to turn off the Bitcoin. However, there are specific places in the United States, like Texas, for example, where miners do in fact have written agreements with the grid to turn off their rigs in certain circumstances. ERCOT is the big mining grid uh, administrator in the state of Texas, and they have what's called the Demand Response Program. You can find out all about it at www.ercot.com slash services, slash program, slash load. And basically they have three types of demand response. And on their website they say demand response provides ERCOT provides the ERCOT market with valuable reliability and economic services by helping to preserve system reliability, enhancing competition, mitigating price spikes, and encouraging the demand side of the market to respond better to wholesale price signals. And they go on to list three types of demand response. There is the voluntary load response. A customer may decide independently to reduce consumption from its scheduled or anticipated level in response to price signals or high demand on the ERCOT system. This is what Leggy was talking about, where the market decides whether it's worth them or not. This is known as voluntary load response. However, and I'm, I'm adding here, even participating in voluntary load response is still subject to an agreement, still subject to a contract. If you are in Texas and you're a commercial miner, I think even if you're a, a, an individual mining for your home, you, you still have to uh, contract with ERCOT to purchase your power because Texas does things a little bit differently where you can get your power from a variety of... Providers, etc. Not providers. ERCOT is going to be your administrator. But I'm a little bit over my skis here because I don't live in Texas and I and I don't actually have anything concrete in front of my head. But I have friends in Texas, have driven through Texas <laughs> numerous times. But the point being, if you're a commercial company, if you're a Bitcoin miner, uh, you have a you have a retail contract. So technically, a contract is an agreement. I'm not trying to split hairs, split hairs here because. Leggy's certainly correct, and this doesn't apply to anyone other than those people in Texas in the first place. So, um, but they go on to say, depending how the retail contract with their local load service entity is structured, these customers may have the opportunity to benefit financially during periods when wholesale market prices are high. ERCOT encourages customers to check with their LSE LSE retail electric provider, municipally owned utility, or electric cooperative to find out whether voluntary load response products are available to them. The next type of demand response ERCOT has is emergency response. ERCOT procures emergency response services by selecting qualified loads, like miners, my words, and generators, including aggregations of load and generators, to make themselves available for deployment in an electric grid emergency. ERS decreases the likelihood of system wide load shedding by paying qualified scheduling entities to make arrangements with residential, commercial, and industrial participants to either reduce consumption or increase generation across the grid when called upon by ERCOT. These participants are required to provide agreed-upon amounts of megawatts within 10 to 30 minutes to help prevent or alleviate an actual or anticipated energy alert event. So once again, this is kind of one of those situations where it's, it's kind of semantics, uh, and we have a variety of of situations, even in Texas, that the various mining companies uh, can uh, be subject to. For example, we had a couple of different weather events. We had two really hot summers and two really cold winters in Texas that affected mining. Most recently, the the cold front about a month ago. Um, But getting back to the really hot summer last summer, Cointelegraph wrote a couple of articles. The first entitled, Riot Platform says, Texas Energy Strategy Reduced Production Costs by $31 And you remember this was quite controversial because people got upset that basically ERCOT was paying Riot to not mine, and the people that were anti-Bitcoin were saying that this was fleecing the taxpayer, when in reality, it was preserving power for the taxpayer. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The article goes on to say, minor Riot platforms mined fewer Bitcoin in August than July, but received over $31 million in power credits. That is the equivalent of around 1,136 Bitcoin, A CEO Jason Les pointed out in a statement. Riot received an estimated 24.2 million in power curtailment credits under its contract with Texas grid operator, Electric Reliability Council of Texas, and 7.4 million from ERCOT's demand response program. So this too is a combination of of kind of what Legge was saying, where part of it was market demand, where they got credits from ERCOT's demand response program, but they also got credits uh, from uh, ERCOT under their contract that they had, where they agreed to shut down Uh, In times of demand, the article continues according to a presentation released by Riot on September 6th. The company's power strategy is based on three mechanisms and all depend on its long-term ERCOT contract. Power credits are received when the company curtails operations and returns power to ERCOT when the price of electricity makes mining unprofitable. Demand and response credits are received when Riot competitively bids to sell ERCOT the the option to control Riot's electrical load. Whether or not the electric company chooses, calls, I think they, I think that's a typo, I think they should have said, I think they didn't mean to say chooses, whether or not the electric company calls on Riot to reduce consumption. So again, this, even this is two-pronged. Riot apparently has the ability to make this decision on a market basis, and then also ERCOT has the ability to call upon Riot and say you have to do this. Now, they don't mention what the third mechanism is in the article, but according to ERCOT's website, that third mechanism would be the emergency response service. Um, the article also goes on to reference an additional article, on, also by Cointelegraph, that's entitled with the headline, Marathon Digital Blames Weather Conditions for Mining 21% Less Bitcoin in June. The article says, according to a July 5th statement, Marathon Digital a t- experienced a 21% decline in June for the total amount of Bitcoin mined compared with May the primary reason cited for the declines in production, which saw 979 Bitcoin produced throughout the month, was the impact of the weather conditions in Texas where Marathon's main operations are located. The article goes on to continue. On February 6th, Cointelegraph reported that crypto mining with, Riot, with firm Riot Platform had 1, 17,040 rigs go offline at its operations in Texas due to, quote, severe winter weather in the state. So my words now, um, this is obviously referencing the cold winter in January, so it's both the heat and the cold, where uh, through a variety of mechanisms, whether it be electricity gets more expensive and Riot decides it's 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 cheaper for them or more profitable for them to sell their electricity back, or whether it's through the emergency demand response where they're required to shut down uh, by the, through their agreement with ERCOT. Uh, either way, they turned off 17,040 rigs. Later in the article, they highlight another instance where Bitcoin mining was impacted by severe weather in Texas, saying... This is not the first time that Texas weather has had major impacts on crypto miners. In July 2022, Peter Wall, CEO of crypto mining company Argo Blockchain, which operates a data center in West Texas, told Cointelegraph that the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, that's what ERCOT stands for, sent out a conservation alert forcing Argo, along with many other mining operators, operators in the area, to shut down mining activities temporarily. So this is semantics, uh, and I guess it's one of those things where it depends. Uh, I'm not an attorney, but I've taken many law and legal classes, and the the, the stereotypical response, if you're taking a law class or in, if you're going into law school and you ask your professor a question, the answer is always, it depends. That's the legalese answer, it depends. And in this case, it certainly does depend. So in Texas, which is just one state in the United States, just one place where Bitcoin is mined, miners have a variety of options available to them, to turn their miners off, to sell the electricity back to the grid, to not use the electricity they were going to use. Sometimes that's based on market demand. uh, And I guess you could do that whether you got, uh, whether you got demand response credits or not. Uh, But in Texas, they get paid demand response credits if their power contract with ERCOT uh, provides that they're eligible to, eligible to participate in that program. Uh, And then there's also the emergency demand response program where, they're just flat out ordered to shut off. And uh, they, I believe they still get paid for that as well. All right. So, hey, Leggy, thank you for, those, for those, both those shout outs. Sorry I didn't get to the one uh, more timely because it was meant to be two episodes ago. But uh, I got my podcast recorded a couple hours earlier than normal last week uh, because I had some things going on and apparently uh, our, our ships crossed in the night. So uh, I do apologize, but we got that read. Thank you so much for both. Shout outs thank you for the most specific one because both were obviously mining related the second one forced me to dig in and learn a little bit more and hopefully provide more information to our to our uh to our listeners because um I was certain that we were kind of saying the same thing anyway that you weren't really that you weren't that we were just kind of disagreeing on semantics but um you know I didn't have the hard facts in front of me so i I, I did a little bit of research on that so i could so i could uh i could I could a know what the heck I'm talking about, and b um, help shed that share that information with with people who are listening. So there's a little bit of education that we got to that we got to uh, other than our normal Bitcoin education. A little bit more education on how Bitcoin is helping balance electrical grids, at least in Texas. And uh, if you learned something listening to that, then thank Leggy because Leggy's shout out is is what is what prompted that. So. Thank you for both Boosts Leggy, and thank you to all of you who listen, regardless of where you're listening, regardless of whether you're listening on Podcasting 2.0 or not. Uh, And speaking of our listeners, once again, our geographic distribution of listeners remains exactly the same. Our top 10 countries are as follows. Number one remains the United States, so thank you to those of you listening right here in the United States of America. Number two remains Argentina, so again, muchos gracias amigos in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. Danke schön, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. Dankeschön, my friends in Luxembourg. Morien, to those of you listening in Luxembourg. Number five remains Canada. So thank you to those of you in America's attic. Hopefully the weather is nice up there. It's certainly a lot nicer down here in Florida than when we had that last big winter storm move through. It's not nearly as windy. It's cool out, but it's nice. So um, us Floridians are probably wearing jackets tonight. But if you're down here visiting from anywhere else in the country, you're probably wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Number six remains Spain, muchas gracias amigos in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia, muchas gracias amigos in Colombia. Number eight remains Sweden. I'm going to have to take it upon myself to learn how to say thank you to our friends in Sweden, or you can DM me and let me know if you're listening and you want to, and you want to help me say it properly because, for example, Leggy told me that there's also Luxembourgish where Morian is a, is a greeting in Luxembourgish as opposed to just muchas gracias or danke my friends in Luxembourg, which is German. So if you're listening from Sweden and you want to help me out, give me a, a DM on Twitter at BTC pod at BTC, like Bitcoin bulletin pod. And let me know how to say thank you and hello to those of you listening in Sweden. Number nine remains the United Kingdom. Again, thank you to those of you on the other side of the pond in our cousin, England. Number 10 remains Venezuela. Again, muchos gracias amigos in Venezuela. And thank you to those of you listening, regardless where you're listening, because there's a lot of companies, hovering companies, countries hovering just outside the top ten. I wouldn't take more than one or two listeners probably to bump your country into the top ten, especially if you're in Mexico, which which has consistently been number eleven. Uh, just just a handful of listeners fewer than listening listening in Venezuela. All right, on to the news. Obviously, the big surprise news on Monday was that inflation came in a little hotter than it was expected. This caused the markets to crash. Even the price of Bitcoin went down a little bit on Monday before bouncing back up above 52000 today. Bloomberg.com read the headline, Inflation Surprise! Transitory gives way to intransigent and maybe overheating. The stubbornness of sticky prices fueled partly by rising wages is what the Fed feared from the outset, and it's happening. Uh, Yahoo Finance ran the headline, Inflation consumer prices rise 3.1% in January, defying forecasts for a faster slowdown. They go on to say U.S. consumer prices rose more than expected in January, according to the latest data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics released Tuesday morning. The consumer price index rose 0.3% over the previous month and 3.1% over the prior year in January, but slightly higher than December's 0.2% month-over-month increase. Uh, but a deceleration from December's 3.4% annual gain. Both measures both measures were higher compared to economists' forecasts of a 0.2% month-over-month increase and a 2.9% annual increase, according to data from Bloomberg. Of course, this is my words now, if you go on to the core basis where they strip out volatile costs, food and gasoline, etc., inflation was even higher. Don't worry, though, if you have faith in humanity, any faith that is, that humanity is finally waking up to the fact that inflation is caused by reckless or worse malicious monetary policy. Rest assured, that is not the case. The average idiot out there still has no clue. The Hill.com ran the headline just nine hours ago. Corporate greed increasingly seen as a major cause of inflation, according to a poll. A new poll found that three in five Americans now say corporate greed is a major cause of inflation. That's a 15% jump to 59% from 44% in January, 2022, according to a new poll from Navigator Research. They do go on to say that it's a left-leaning polling and opinion research group. And again, we know that polls can be manipulated, but you know, we're never going to, the government's never going to stop printing our money into oblivion if they are convinced that you're too stupid to realize to, to what they're doing to see that they're stealing your money that inflation is the ultimate most insidious tax at least as bad if not worse than the property tax although that would be a you know that would be a, that'd be a pretty good tie uh, but as long as they can print money and cause the value of your dollars to decrease cause the price of goods to go up in terms of your dollars your euros your pesos and they think you can blame it on greedy corporations then uh, they're never going to stop Fortunately, you've already gotten into the life raft. You've already crawled through the escape hatch because we have Bitcoin. Bitcoin will never inflate beyond its 21 million supply cap. Uh, so, you know, they can go ahead and shoot themselves in the foot with the US dollar. They can go co- keep letting the average normie believe that, you know, it's Walmart's CEO and McDonald's CEO screwing them out of their money and not, not their economic policy that's causing so much pain. Uh, that is depressing, but I guess it's not to be, it's not It's not unexpected. Despite all the gloomy economic news, obviously Bitcoin is pumping. Even if it isn't pumping, that's not why we're really here. We're here because, you know, Bitcoin is immutable, uncensorable, because it is a, it is a hedge against inflation. And in times like now, when there's high inflation is when you would expect Bitcoin to shine. Maybe not as much until after it's a little more mainstream, but we're going to probably see a lot more of that happen with this halving. Uh, and part of that is because The exchange-traded funds, the ETFs, are still seeing gigantic inflows that are still outpacing even the outflows from GBTC with all the people finally fleeing the sinking ship of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. BitMEX Research has been steadily publishing every day the Bitcoin ETF flow data on their Twitter. On Twitter, they're at BitMEX Research. Uh, And they said, all data out for 13 February, very strong day with 631 million positive net flow over all providers. Huge day for BlackRock at $4.93 So BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF took in $493 million, which, of course, they're going to have to purchase Bitcoin with. More than half of the total net inflow. And that is despite the fact that Grayscale still saw a $72.8 million outflow. So that's a $631 million net inflow. And they put that in terms of Bitcoin. Basically, the net inflow amongst all the Bitcoin ETFs, even taking into account the 1,469 Bitcoin that flowed out of Grayscale, the total net inflow was 12,735.8 Bitcoin. And that is just today. That's not since ETF launched. That is in one single day. Need I remind you that currently about 900 Bitcoin are mined a day. And the vast majority of Bitcoin for sale is Bitcoin that Commercial miners are having to dump to cover their rent, their utilities, their payroll, etc. If only 900 Bitcoin a day are being produced and 12,000 are being soaked up by the ETFs, that is more than 10 times more Bitcoin demand than Bitcoin supply. And that's probably why we're seeing Bitcoin pump, even though we haven't even gotten to the halving yet. Last week, we mentioned Michael Saylor had announced that MicroStrategy had purchased an additional $37.2 billion of the Bitcoin. That is above and beyond what the ETFs are soaking up. This week, it's revealed that billionaire Peter Thiel's venture capital fund had also purchased $100 million of the Bitcoin. In fact, according to Wall Street Journal, Peter Thiel's founder's fund makes monster bet on Bitcoin. The Founders Fund venture capital firm founded by Peter Thiel has bought large sums of Bitcoin that are now worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The article goes on to say they basically purchased $100 million of the Bitcoin and $100 million of the Ether. Reuters is reporting the same thing. Executive Peter Thiel's Founders Fund make $200 million in crypto investment before bull run. Uh, so it's not just Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy that's, that's uh, stacking Bitcoin. Now Peter Thiel at least is as well. There may be others out there doing the same thing. But even if they aren't, this is the bull run that's going to prove MicroStrategy's theory, that's going to prove Michael Saylor right. If you remember, MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor started stacking during the last bull run. They did so before the last halving. They have not, I'm sorry, after the last halving. They have not seen a full cycle. You know, they're already in the green and we haven't even had our explosive bull run yet. Regardless of what happens to the Bitcoin price in the year after the halving, in general, we can be pretty confident it's going to go up. And all it has to do is even, you know, even double. If it 10 X's or 20 X's, God only knows how bad the corporate and billionaire FOMO is going to be. But either way, there's going to be at least one or two wannabe Michael Saylors, wannabe My- Peter Teals out there that look at the gains that Michael Saylor and now Peter Thiel are going to make and they're going to say, I want in on that. Just like other countries are going to look at, at El Salvador. Again, this is El Salvador's first having bull run, their first having. So they've already been vindicated, but nothing like they would be if the price of Bitcoin 10X or 20X and other countries are going to sit up and notice. So this bull run, not only do we have the ETFs introducing normies and their retirement plans, et cetera, their retirement funds to Bitcoin, uh, we're going to have corporate FOMO like you've never seen it before, maybe more nation state FOMO. Uh, things are getting really exciting. On a sad note, if you've been in this space long enough to remember when backed, was the savior of Bitcoin? I think it was 2018 when Backed, uh, which was a company that was founded basically by the owner of the New York Stock ex- Exchange, I believe it's Intercontinental Exchange. Uh, they were going to revolutionize Bitcoin. They were going to they were going to integrate with Starbucks, where you'd literally be able to buy your coffee on chain with Bitcoin. I think they were going to integrate your frequent flyer miles and your various reward points and, into Satoshi's as well. Uh, there was a lot of hope and optimism, a lot of hopium in the Reddit and Bitcoin Twitter spaces about Backed. It never came to be, and now it looks like it never will be because Coindesk reported that crypto firm backed warns it might not be able to remain in business. The company with backing of the owner of the NYSE was introduced in 2018 with the initial goal of helping Starbucks customers buy coffee with Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. Coin Telegraph is reporting similarly. backed once touted as Bitcoin Savior is running low on cash. Uh, so regardless, Back never did what it what it was supposed to do it, it was it, it, it had big dreams big aspirations that never came true maybe they were before their time uh maybe they're irrelevant now you know they say the difference between wrong and early there's no difference basically between wrong and early if you're early you're, you're still wrong i'm probably butchering that quote but the point being you can have the best idea in the world but if it's too soon uh, it's going to fail even though it was a great idea Uh, And speaking of companies out there that are in the Bitcoin space, the one last thing I wanted to talk about was Strike. That's an app that I use quite often. Sent me an email the other day saying that they're changing their fee structure. Currently, when you purchase Bitcoin on Strike or when you send cash that they convert into Satoshi's, they charge a spread. Uh, As of yesterday, I think, as of Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, they no longer charge a spread that they charge a flat fee instead or a tiered fee. Uh, that it basically starts at 0.99% and then gets cheaper depending on your monthly trading volume. Not, and it's not based on the size of your specific trade. It's based on aggregate how much you trade during the month. Uh, so that's still less than half a Cash App's tier of uh, of two and a quarter percent. And Cash App's also charging a spread as well. So this is a this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Basically, they release their fee structure that if you're if you're going to buy less than 250 dollars worth of Bitcoin a month on on strike you're going to pay a 0.99% fee if you buy between 250 and 2000 uh, it's going to be 0.95 2000 to 5000 that drops to 0.89 5000 to 50000 drops to 0.79 50000 to half a million drops to 0.69 and above a half a million drops to 0.59 so most of us are going to be in that 0.99% fee range or 0.95% fee range if you're buying between 250 and 5 or 250 and 2000 dollars a month uh, and that's still cheaper than than uh then Cash App's two and a quarter percent. But as I often point out, the one thing I like about Cash App is that they're not going to charge me to transfer my, my Satoshis to my hardware wallet. So despite the fact I'm paying a little bit more of a fee, I'm going to pay about 45 cents in fees when we stack here in a minute. But I'm not going to pay that $1.17, $1.50 or whatever in mining fees. So it all comes out in the wash. Point being, find an app you like, do your own research, make sure you're comfortable with the fees, make sure you're comfortable with the services they offer. And above all, most importantly, then get your Bitcoin off the exchanges because not your keys, not your Bitcoin. All right, there's two other things I wanted to talk about. There's been a lot of talk about a coffee company in El Salvador called Chorito Cafe. And apparently Chorito Cafe is doing some pretty innovative things. And I don't know a whole lot more about them other than that. Other than they tend to be, they, they appear to be backed by a lot of big venture funds. I think Max Kaiser is backing them. I want to remind you, remember we did that episode where we interviewed um, Gabe from good beans, good beans is a very small, like one or two bar stool size coffee shop owned by Gabe. And he has like a, a an employer and a partner and he's a pleb. Uh, and if you want to order your coffee from El Salvador, maybe look, maybe give Trito cafe a try, but I personally would prefer to support a pleb to support a small business, to pers- support a business that's not backed by venture capital. Uh, So if you are hearing about Bitcoin, El Salvador, Bitcoin, about buying coffee in Bitcoin from El Salvador, about how great the coffee from El Salvador is, check out uh, Good Beans. I think it's thegoodbeans.com is their website. On Twitter, they're they're at Good Beans The. Uh, It was fantastic coffee. I've ordered it delivered to the United States. I've paid in lightning every time it's gotten here within less than a week. It's some of the best coffee I ever had. So if you've never tried coffee from El Salvador, absolutely give it a try. I would encourage you to support a small business and a pleb like the Good Beans. Um, but I'm, you know, I don't know much about Chorito Cafe. So if you do, uh, send me a DM. Let me know what you think about Chorito Cafe. Again, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. Last but not least, I'm not an expert in the legal proceedings in England, but from what I have read, it looks like fake Toshi CSW is getting absolutely destroyed in court by the Crypto Open Patent Alliance, who's taken him to task over his claims to be the Satoshi Nakamoto. Over his threats to bind up uh, Bitcoin development, suing Bitcoin developers, etc., uh, that's mm-hmm. been just a lot of fun to see. And and Bit Norbert on Twitter, and of course Hodlonot on Twitter, are giving play by plays. I do believe today was Craig Wright's last day testi- testifying. The trial's supposed to last about a month because, of course, they have to bring on their witnesses besides Craig Wright, etc. Um, but. I have no idea how this is going because I know what it looks like to me. I know what it looks like to all the observers on Twitter, but I really don't know much about the law in England. Um, And I don't know what the burden of proof is for Copa, uh, whether they have to come out and physically drill over the smoking gun saying he's not Craig Wright, period. Here's the absolute proof he is not, or whether it's just enough to cast enough doubt on his claims to say, look, his claims are dubious and get the win. And I, I don't know the answer to that. So either way, it's definitely making him look like a clown in court. Hopefully it's embarrassing Calvin air and the people that are supporting him in this attack and this war against Bitcoin developers. All right. On to the reason we are here. And that is because not only is it Valentine's Day or Singles Appreciation Day, Singles Appreciation Day, it is also DCA Wednesday. For those of you who don't know, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 134th stack. We started stacking all the way back on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. So far, stacking 133 times. Our equal portion was I chose $20 because I wanted to choose an amount that was small enough that almost anyone listening to this podcast should be able to come up with $20 a week. Of course, our regular interval is weekly on Wednesdays. So far, we've converted $2,660, US, including in fees to Cash App into a stack of 8,904,859 SATs, 0.089 Bitcoin for those of you who don't do the SAT conversion. And we've done so at an average cost basis of $29,871.33. We're going to add to that stack today using the Cash App, as I've already mentioned. Cash App is not a sponsor of the podcast. They might not even be available where you're listening, but if you are not using Cash App and you would like to do so, there is a referral code in the show notes. And by signing up using that referral code, you'll get $5 free for signing up. That's what the current offer is anyway. That may be subject to change. Uh, but if you sign up as of the time of this recording, you'll get $5 for free and the podcast will receive $5 as well, uh, which I'll immediately convert into Satoshi's. Hopefully you'll do the same. So basically you get paid to support the podcast. You'll, you'll get something that you wouldn't normally have had. You'll get an extra, extra $5 of the stats, which is about 6,000 Satoshi's. At the time of recording. So I've got Cash App open. I already have $20 in there because I was, well, I was, I was setting some limit orders in case Bitcoin pulled back because, uh, you know, I like to buy the dip. Um, so I'm tapping Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, tapping confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 37,470 sats. That's going to bring our stack up to 8,942,329 sats. So it looks like it's going to be at least one more stack, maybe two before we break the 9 million sat mark, but we're getting really close. I kind of have an unofficial goal of reaching a stack of at least 10 million sats, but the faster the price of Bitcoin goes up, the harder that's going to be. Because obviously we only got 37,000 sats, 30,470 sats for this purchase, as opposed to the 43,000 last week, the 45,000 the week before that, and the 49,000 the week before that. That is the occupational hazard of um, waiting to purchase your Bitcoin. Obviously, we're doing dollar cost averaging. We're investing as much as we can when we can. That's the whole point of dollar cost averaging. So, I mean, you got to do what you can do. And... Besides increasing our stack to just shy of 9 million sats, it has also increased our average purchase price. Our average cost basis is now $29,969.82. That's an increase of almost $100. So I think our next stack obviously is going to push us beyond the $30,000 range unless Bitcoin has a big pullback next week. Uh, But still, under $30,000 or even right at $30,000 is a heck of a good price considering Bitcoin is worth $52,000. Uh, $52,175 at this moment because that's, that's what we just paid, $52,175. And that's not too shabby. Of course, if Bitcoin just two Xs and makes $100,000 in this bull run, and I don't think that's unrealistic at all, obviously just a two X would be a very anemic bull run, that stack would have a value of $8,942.32. If Bitcoin 20 Xs, and makes it to a million dollars, which wouldn't not be unheard of at all. bitcoin's twenty thirty x to no problem in previous bull runs you know, previous previous having bull runs., uh, that would be a stack worth eighty nine thousand four hundred twenty three dollars and sixty nine cents. Definitely not too shabby for an investment of two thousand six hundred and I guess two thousand six hundred and eighty dollars now, and at just twenty dollars a week. All right, that is all I want to talk about. I need to get this podcast polished up and uploaded before midnight because it certainly is getting close. Before I go though, I want to ask you to help support the podcast, help feed that algorithm monster by rating or reviewing the podcast, liking or subscribing, or automatically downloading the podcast, depending on what podcast app you're listening to. You have different ways to help rate the podcast and feed that, po- that podcast algorithm monster. Also, you can help expose us, you can help expose more people to us on Twitter by following us on Twitter. And again, at Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. And I do want to hear what you have to say about this podcast, what you like or don't like. Thank you, Leggy, for your constant continued support of the podcast through shoutouts, uh, through boosts. That is a heck of a cool way to support the podcast and let me know what you're thinking to give me feedback. But, you know, plebs, you don't have to do that. You can DM me on Twitter, again, at BTC Bullet and Pod. We're also on Noster, although not as often as I should. Our NPUB is in the show notes. And if you're not on Noster or Twitter, you can just send me an email. Our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Either way, though, don't forget to join us next Wednesday while we grow that stack together. And either way, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.